Welcome to episode 23 of the Analytics FC podcast. I'm Sam Gregory, joined as always by Tom Warville. And this week our guest is Tom Lawrence, known better as DeepXG on Twitter. So can you just give you give yourself a quick introduction and explain how you got into football analytics? Hello, uh, I am indeed Tom Lawrence. I my original entry into into football stats was is incredibly nerdy just because um, I got into a game called Magic the Gathering many years ago, which involves um, collectible trading cards and wizards and goblins and things like that. Um, and I followed a man called Ted Knutson, who was the editor of the Magic the Gathering website um, at the time. Um, and at some point over the next five years, he started getting into football stats and eventually launched a website called Stats Bomb, which I realise is probably the origin story of of most people involved in football stats today. So um, purely by virtue of, of following him on Twitter, uh, I was introduced to a lot of these ideas and then became very interested in the last year and started this blog in October. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm kind of the baby of the <laughs> football stats industry. So Just to be clear, I don't think that getting into football analytics from Magic the Gathering is the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the baseline story. I think Stats Bomb, a lot of people will have a similar story, but I think you have a unique one with magic. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a nerdy way of looking at football, isn't it? And so I, I just happen to have gone full nerd. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> nice. That's definitely the wackiest intro we've had yet. <laughs> um, so one of, I thought we'd, we'd sort of start slowly. And one of the questions that we got from Twitter was, uh, You've probably seen it. What's your deal with the Super Bowl? Oh, God. Um, I, just, I happened to be up, and it, it was on the television. Um, and I posted I posted a funny... Well, so I'll rewind a little bit. Um, so as a child, I did actually watch quite a lot of um, American football with my dad on the TV, because um, it, it was on Channel 4 quite regularly back then. Um, and I... I always liked it because it was it was a quite tactical sport, you know. It was um, it was unashamedly guys with clipboards um, thinking up tactics for like little passages of play and stuff. And I quite like that. As, as I say, I'm a long time nerd, um, <laughs> but um, I haven't followed it for many many years until um, in 2010, I think it was. I was in San Francisco. Um, at a conference, it was the it was the inaugural developer conference for Twitter, a thing called Chirp. And so this was a it was a previous startup that I was working on where everybody thought that they could make millions of pounds out of Twitter, and it turns out not even Twitter can do that. So <laughs> um, it just so happened that the week that I was in um, America was the week that the uh, Icelandic volcano erupted, mm. which meant that I ended up being trapped in America for about two weeks longer than I thought I would be, which sort of rich man's problems. But it wasn't the most unpleasant experience of my life, but it was very expensive. But one of the things that happened um, while I was while I was sort of hiding in this hotel waiting for a, for a flight to be okayed back to the UK was the 2010 um, NFL draft. Um, and two of the biggest names from that draft were Tim Tebow and Sam Bradford. <laughs> um, and so... And it was just one of it was one of the it was one of the most interesting things that I ended up doing on that you know because I'd not paid any attention to American football for years and years and years, um, 
And so I've sort of followed their careers just just out of a weird sense of solidarity, and I was having a I was having a bad week, and that NFL draft got me through um, one particular night. So I followed their careers, and I was well aware that um, they're both kind of jokes. But I I yeah I just posted some tweet um, pretending I knew nothing about them and asking um, how their careers had gone. <laughs> and so um people people obviously find you know english geek not understanding american football a funny persona and so i dedicated the next four hours of my life to watching the super bowl and i have to say i do not remember american football being quite as dull as it was in that particular super bowl but um but there you go so <laughs> no, it was just it was fun. It was it was an it was an intriguing game. It, it struck me as um, it struck me as the kind of American football that you would see Jose Mourinho um, employ. There was a lot of defending and taking advantage of mistakes. So there, I, I did actually watch the game, and that's my that's my in depth analysis. But no, mostly it was funny. I'm just in this for the numbers. I keep telling people I, I don't have any particular insight into football or any other sport. I just like I just like numbers on Twitter. So. You should you should view all of my work through that particular lens. <laughs> so moving on to what you're, I don't know if it's more well known for, or at least well known for in the football, this football side of the world. Um, one thing that you've got a lot of attention for has been the defensive and attacking polygon maps. Or I, why don't you elaborate more on what these defensive and attacking maps are, and how we should look at them and read them? The, the Microsoft Paint part of. Uh, <laughs> of my brand um yeah so i think obviously coming late to the game um i don't have a lot i don't really have a lot to say about you know things like xg and shots and and stuff like that and so one of the things that i i felt was perhaps was it was interesting to me when i watch any football game and I think is generally interesting tactically is looking at space and the use of space um, offensively and defensively. And uh, you know there there are XG maps out there, there are heat maps out there. But one of the things that occurred to me that you could do, you know, was plot these sorts of things. I was uh, this was during the period that I was working on sort of shot build up stuff. So I I was kind of looking at I published an article just about um, pace of attack. So Europe's most direct teams, it was called, and it was just it, it was looking at how quickly various teams attacked, and you know Leicester were sort of up top with um, Caen. Um, so there was, so I had to sort of bring all of bring all of this data together to work out, you know, where attacks start and where attacks end and things like that. And um, given that I'd done that, it was it was pretty easy, you know. I'm a I'm a programmer by trade, and so it was pretty easy to kind of draw a line around those events and just show what they looked like in the hope that people found it interesting and and so there are a few so the attacking the attacking maps i'll get onto the defensive maps in a minute the attacking maps uh, i suspect analytically aren't enormously useful i mean you may look at them and (laughs) you may have some sort of epiphany about a single game but mostly they're just they're just kind of ah interesting you know they show you they show you overall you can get the gist of if a team was particularly exploiting one side of the pitch you can get the gist of whether a team is particularly attack uh, particularly direct or slow in build-up so 
you know the two the two biggest examples this year would be a lot of man united's charts are very very green for slow build up with big expansive covering all of the pitch passing moves whereas a lot of leicester's have just been very very red fast build up and spiky and things and so so they're a bit of fun there are some people there are some people who seem to really like them and i I'd, I'd be sad to stop doing them but i don't I don't think they are something that you can kind of print out and take into a club and have a particularly useful conversation about, you know, your next opponent or your performances this year. So they're kind of a bit of fun. Um, although, I mean, they people may create, you know, interesting, innovative things off the back of having seen them. I just don't know what they are. The defensive maps were kind of my attempt to to actually take those shot maps and make them genuinely useful as a, as a sort of analytical tool. Uh, the idea being that you draw the territory, you calculate somehow the territory for a defender and then, you know, score them by some metric. And um, by doing that, you can kind of see where a team might have, might have been open in a game and allowed their opponents through you can see where a particular player may have been weak um and also if you look at a few games together you can see where you know um an alan hutton shaped red splurge on the side of the pitch week in week out against aston villa then perhaps it might occur to you to attack down their left wing <laughs> or your left wing so um so they kind of they kind of complement each other um, and my hope is that that people people find them useful having watched a game, and my hope one day is that they will actually be a useful. You know, they're not they're not the sort of hard and fast. This player is bad. Um, this player is at fault for um, losing this game. But I think they're an interesting sort of conversation starter, especially when you sort of look at the numbers behind them in aggregate. So. Yeah, so I, I feel I feel a little bit. I've put more work into the defensive side of things. The the striker ones are really just kind of <laughs> slightly ambient, abstract art. <laughs> and like every week, um, every week somebody will retweet them to the wrong part of Twitter, and I'll just get like angry responses from people who are genuinely offended by how hard they are to read. <laughs> um, so yeah. Now you can interpret this question how you want to, but um, what is your favourite shape? <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> um, that's weird. See, my wife is uh, is an art psychotherapist, and so um, so I'm sure the the answer to this will have yeah all sorts of weird, deep psychological ramifications. I don't know. I really, I really do like seeing the charts for fast, um, direct teams. So you know, big, big pointy red triangles are uh, look good to me but then you know if you that's partly because like teams like Bayern Munich or Barcelona who are just totally totally dominant just they they look so messy on the charts because you know they'll take 30 shots in a game and they'll involve passing movements right out of defense involving all 11 players and so so it's other than the fact that they were completely dominant, it's very difficult to make sense of those charts. But um, you'll occasionally see, you know, teams that just had three fast attacks, but somehow managed to uh, manage to win three 0 and I quite like those charts. 
So there you go, triangles. <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> red triangles. It's better me to, to say, you know, two small circles. And a, <laughs> I, I had a moderately large turquoise rectangle down, but I mean, <laughs> whatever. Um, a follow-up on, on the sort of defensive side of things. Uh, obviously, you're drawing the, the shapes around the actions, and it's showing overlap. But is there a way that you could potentially uh, adjust that for whether a player is, say, I mean, you probably need tracking data, but out of position because, I mean, a lot of the attacks you have the sort of um, flat back four and if they're attacking down the right, then the left back will tackle him. But if there's like, you know, the defence is stretched, say you're defending against Leicester and you've only got like two or three defenders back, then they'll be tackling in a position where they wouldn't originally be playing, but they'll be playing there because of their out of position. So is there any way that you can like, you could showcase that or you could show that... Essentially, well, because the... I mean, there, there are even there are even simpler examples than that. Because I was I was chatting I was chatting to people at the Opta Pro Forum about this, and you know, there's the example where one one midfielder sort of goes forward and the other stays back. Um, if anything bad happens in that situation, which of those two midfielders are you blaming? Even oh, like uh, over the course of a game, they will probably have similar territory which overlaps, and so. You have these you have these little dynamic situations on the pitch where people can change um, position. Like you know, Gareth Barry's job when John Stones rampages forwards is to is to drop back into defence. And yeah, so when you have a player who has kind of different modes of operation like that, um, the current I mean, the current system doesn't come close to um, to capturing any stuff like that. It literally is just kind of here are all of your defensive actions, and we sort of we average them out and take a take a vague outline. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would, I really, really would love to have tracking data for this one day. Um, ultimately, the I mean, ultimately, the the metric is you have some mechanism for not even working out territory. What you're really doing is assigning blame. So um, the territory and the visualization is, is one thing, but what you'd really like to have is some metric that allowed you to, with some confidence, say, you know, when this attack came down the left, it is 95% this player's fault, or and it's like 25% that player's fault, or something like that, because you can work out what those responsibilities are. That's the thing that I'm looking at now, and it will be less visual. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you're assigning, you're assigning blame to one or players for every single action and it would be fantastic to incorporate sort of slightly dynamic game states as in you know the the build-up to that event not just that event statically where it is on the pitch if i'm making any sense so i guess that sort of leads into my next question which is to look you, you mentioned that we focus a lot on shots in football so far and football analytics and you want to look more at possession and territory and positioning what do you think the next steps are beyond something like these diagrams or assigning blame to a single individual for an attack? Oh, man. I mean, uh, you say next steps is probably, I guess it's probably happening in in clubs that know what they're doing. Um, I think it would be great for us to have... I think we're really good at... And I'm not even talking about um, positioning data here, but we're really good at sort of saying, well, here is point in time what the situation is on the pitch you know there's a there's a touch at these coordinates and um and we can sort of aggregate those together i do think that 
um, being able to project forwards from that and look backwards is really useful. So people have sort of worked on um, expected assists and I know Dan Altman has has gone even further than that, but it would be great to be able to say anywhere on the pitch, this is, um, these are the, the things that could happen from this situation. Given, given the build-up to where the ball is now, you know, there's a there's a ten percent chance that it gets launched four yards forwards and results in a goal. There's a there's a five percent chance that it ends up being recycled back to the keeper. You know, so, so things like that. And I know that there are clubs working on just looking at the chains of events that can lead to certain situations in the future or from the past. And I think that kind of dynamic um, data is really interesting. Um, I don't I don't have it. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, who, who knows what the, the next phase is? I, I don't think that there's a huge amount of value in constantly iterating, um, different XG models and, you know, just looking at on the ball events. I think, I think people will slowly build up bigger and bigger pictures, um, based on like broad passages of play and things like that, but who knows who knows as i say I, I, it's probably happening and you know you need to get more people drunk at the Ops pro forum to <laughs> to find out what's next speaking of drunken ideas uh, i wanted to talk about your injury metric which goes by the name of egg mayo <laughs> which stands for expected goals missed due to the absence of your offense um can you sort of uh, give us a bit of a rundown about how Egg Mayo came about and what it shows. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's probably my single proudest moment in <laughs> analytics. Um, so I nabbed some I nabbed some injury data because um, so actually this was so I started looking at injury stuff just because there was, somebody was vaguely having a conversation about Arsenal's perennial injury problems on Twitter and they mentioned that maybe it was because of all the recovery running that Arsenal have to do. I, they, you know, they're high up the pitch, but they lose, lose the ball and they have to sprint backwards. And just for kicks, I wrote this article, which is, which wasn't very rigorous and almost certainly is not a good explanation for why Arsenal have so many injuries. But I did look at the fact that if you look at all of Arsenal's um, events, you can work out how much kind of changes of directions they make um and they are the team that changes direction more than any others like like four out of the top 10 seasons for this weird metric that i came up with so you know if you wanted to look into that then you then it would be one thing to look at arsenal change direction a lot and maybe that puts a strain on soft tissue and that's why they have so many soft tissue injuries so um that wasn't supposed to be a rigorous piece of work but <laughs> but uh, people seemed to read it and it showed up on a bunch of forums and then I started feeling really, really bad that I hadn't done a particularly rigorous job. Um, and so I went to get a bunch of injury data, which I nabbed off a certain website that has a bunch of injury data and um, started looking for correlations with that particular metric. And as predicted, there weren't really many, but given that I had that data, I thought I would do some fun things with it. And uh, there were, it's worth noting that just the raw number of injuries a team has doesn't necessarily 
show you the full picture of the impact of those injuries. And so Egg Mayo was just a very simple um, example of a kind of second order metric that you could come up with for injuries. So it's literally just you look at the XG per game created by a player um, and then you multiply that by how many minutes or whatever um, they are out of the team, which gives you a slight, I mean, and obviously there's a huge number of, of things that that doesn't take into account, but it's one way of looking at injuries from the point of view of value as opposed to just raw, you know, the number of days that Aaron Ramsey is out. Um, so yeah, that, that's where that came from. And, you know, most, most of my articles, they get written and then they'll hang around in drafts for, for about four or five days, I think, for perfect acronym. So, <laughs> <laughs> we've, I don't know if you've heard it before. We've called it backronyming, which I think Alison McCann uh, <laughs> trademarked on the show once, which is you figure out the, the word you want first and then work backwards to figure out how you can work an acronym yeah. to that word. It's it's a, it's an iterative it's an iterative thing. Yeah. Well, it's weird actually because the the defensive charts, the the actual metric underlying that, I call patch, which was originally um, possession. No, yeah, possession adjusted territorial control held, which which is terrible. I mean, I I knew it needed to start PA because it had the possession adjustment in, but I've recently dropped the possession adjustment part of the algorithm. So I might need to change that to like itch or um, hitch. I don't know something something that ends in ch, just to keep the lineage correct. But um, yeah. So I'm going to kill your really nice segue here. But if you're trying to backronym egg mayo, you've got serious problems. <laughs> I didn't even do it right. There needs to be another. There needs to be another G in there. But um, uh, still, anyway, some. <laughs> so moving on to patch. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what it is and how you sort of came up at this defensive metric? Yeah, so um, everybody by now has has probably heard hundreds and hundreds of times that you can't just look at a defender's raw defensive actions and judge them by that because there are... There are some teams, for example, that just don't get to do a lot of defending and down that avenue you have things like possession-adjusted um, stats, um, which I first saw on Stats Bomb. That was a, a Ted Knutson, Marek Kwiatowski um, article. And so that's one way to look at it. But I wanted to measure... But even then, you know, you have the classic, you have the classic, you know, Paolo Maldini only made three tackles in his entire career. Mythology. Um, that's not a specific number. I'm just, but um, I wanted to measure something that was a little bit more, um, that was kind of more direct than what a defender was doing. I wanted to actually look at what was the opposition allowed to do by the defense. Um, and so you can, you, I mean, obviously you can easily do that as a team because you can look at things like, um, you know, deep completions and things like that. And obviously, you know, shots on target and blocks and things like that. Um, but I also wanted to be able to assign these to players um, because obviously the <laughs> defensive metrics for players are the um, are the holy grail. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd published some articles at this point and 
it, it's a rite of passage that you disappear for two months and try and come up with a defensive metric and then fail. Um, so my idea was basically uh, the original version was based on touches. So I would work out uh, a defender's territory, which again, you, you sort of take their defensive actions, draw a line around them and just say, okay, that's, that's clearly where they thought they were supposed to be. Um, and the original version just counted opposition touches and then, you know, wait by per, per 90 and stuff like that. Um, so the idea being, if you allow the opposition um, in your territory, in your part of the field to make lots and lots of touches, then you're probably not stopping them doing stuff. <laughs> stopping them doing stuff being, you know, a definition of defending. Um, so uh, it was originally just just for defenders. I wasn't um, I wasn't doing anything clever with territory. Literally, was just taking all of the events, drawing a line around it. I was only looking at um, you know the back line. It didn't work particularly well for uh, defensive midfielders because you would end up with these incredibly rangy territories taking up the entire pitch. Um, and so that was interesting. I mean, I don't know. You can go back on my my blog and look at the table of numbers there and there are probably some good defenders towards the top and bad defenders towards the bottom but I don't think it was particularly accurate um, but I then um, over the course of a couple of weeks decided that touches there were there were players that bothered me and this is this is something that I never really know how to feel how to feel about because it feels you sometimes come up with a metric. I don't know if you guys have, have ever had this. You come up with a metric and you see a player who rates really well or really badly and you feel really uncomfortable about it. Do you ever have this? Kieran Trippier, that was mine. And then, <laughs> and then you immediately think, oh God, I can't show anybody uh, these numbers. And so you go back and change the metric, which just seems scientifically really, really dodgy. But um, the, the player that annoyed me most was uh, Colaccini. Um, and I sort of uh, I looked a little bit at Newcastle and tried to work out what was going on. And I think part of part of the problem with Newcastle's defence, who were rating really, really high, highly by this metric, is that it just doesn't take a lot of touches to get through them. Um, <laughs> I mean, in the in the game in the game the Everton game against Newcastle, I accused them of just being non corporeal because they were just shots that they would have four players between between one of our players and the goal and somehow the ball still got through them all. So it just didn't take a lot of touches to get through them. And so I became uncomfortable using touches as a metric and ended up looking at, this was around the time that you guys um, published something about your ball progression index. Is that the right thing? Yeah. Um, and so I thought that sounded cool um, and tried to incorporate something like that. So basically the, the current version is you you work out a defender's territory, and I have a specific method for this, but you know there are hundreds of different ways you can do this. Again, it's just to do with which which player you blame, and then it looks at how much further towards your goal you allow the the opposition to move with a successful pass or with a take on whatever. Um, so I feel like it's a metric that is measuring something really, really directly applicable to defending. Not not interceptions, not tackles, 
it's actually it's actually measuring your ability to stop your opponent entering your territory and getting towards dangerous zones and getting those shots off. Um, so, I mean, I've now spent half my life working on that one thing because um, I don't know. I think I think you could just work full time on player defensive metrics forever, and I know. Um, Mark at every team needs a run. <laughs> His life's work is to is to evaluate defenders, and he's a real he's a real true believer um, in in one day being able to do that. I don't know how I feel about Patch as it currently is. I like the numbers that come out of it. Um, I think you could come up with better models, both for assigning blame to defenders and for judging. Um, judging what the opposition is doing. So one of the problems that it has right now is if you you concede you concede territory in a game without that necessarily being a bad thing. So Leicester will often allow you to come down the wings um knowing that they will have this sort of organized low block and um Atletico Madrid will do similar thing you know they they won't necessarily battle you in the middle of the field but the moment that you get close to their box they will they will shut things down and so it doesn't so as a sort of hard and fast rule allowing progression um isn't necessarily a bad thing and so some abstract measure of um the increase the increase increasing danger i guess from A to B would be the next thing. I so I feel like that's an incredibly long, boring, and technical uh, <laughs> explanation. But ultimately, it blames defenders for the opposition being allowed to do stuff, and then it assigns a number to them. And um, the current version matches up pretty well with um, shots conceded, and XG conceded, and the player table. I haven't really talked much about individual player ratings yet. Um, <laughs> purely because, purely because of Flamini, because it thinks Flamini is doing a good job defensively, which may or may not be the case. I know there's other aspects to his game, but uh, <laughs> there's players, there's players up there who I who I wish weren't up there, and I haven't watched enough games. So I'm going through this incredibly boring process right now of watching lots of games um, and comparing them to their patch values, and um, I'm almost at the point of of despair but <laughs> but I think it's a decent metric and I think it's something I think it's something you could build a lot of interesting stuff off so, and so just to get this straight after the exciting part of working with the data you're now in the boring part of watching football is that <laughs> yeah exactly well just it's it's the fun no it's just the fast and slow bit it's like you you can generate something that gives you all of these interesting numbers and you know Thiago Silva's up there and there there are some interesting prospects up there and so that's fun because you can very quickly you know and this is the reason that you do these things because you want to be able to narrow down 10,000 players to to 10 or 20 that might be worth scouring right but if we're talking about this professionally um so that that's fun because you can do it really quickly, but then you have to do the slow bit where in real time you are watching three or four games just to see if a player that your metric rates really highly is actually good. Um, and yeah, it seems to hold up mostly. But again, I just <laughs> if if Flamini hadn't been near the top, 
he is one of the one of the best defensive midfielders according to Patch. If he wasn't near the top, I probably would have published an article about player ratings by now. But um, but yeah, it's one of those things where you self censor just because you know what people will say about a metric. You posted on uh, Twitter the other day how I think it's Stephen Naismith comes into Norwich and automatically has the largest individual patch on that Norwich side. Uh, <laughs> yet Norwich are only mid table on your sort of team wide list. Does that? How does that make any sense? Um, or it I mean, doesn't. <laughs> well, I mean, bear, bear in mind. So this comes back to the point where um, different different types of different types of ball progression are potentially. The, the fact that Stephen Naismith defends well in the opponent's half doesn't necessarily imply that he's doing anything um, particularly particularly useful. Um, but that said, I do think that he's he's an aggressive player with quite good positioning. I I was open. I was completely open. I said this before he got sold. Although eight million quid, you wouldn't reject. I I would have been interested to see Stephen Naismith as a sort of experimental centre back. Because he's not he's not massively tall, but um, just seems to have quite good intelligence on the pitch, and he's a scary guy. And I yeah, I think that experiment could have worked. But I'm looking at I'm looking at Norwich now. Um, yeah, I mean they look they they've got some bad players and some good players. <laughs> I'm just looking at their table. Nathan Redmond is down at the bottom. On that on that positional change front, I've had a couple of conversations before with people not in football about how Russell Martin would probably be a better striker than a centre back. <laughs> well, because he doesn't do any defending. Well, not much. <laughs> it would be he, it would be a better points swing. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily. Well, I don't know. Careful what you wish for, because I yeah, I'm old enough to remember the Walter Smith days where. Everton would play two centre backs and then two centre backs as full backs and then two centre backs as central midfielders and then quite often a centre back up front. Sounds like, sounds like a Scottish pep. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, those were those were the days. So um, yeah, when people get angry about Roberto Martinez, I guess they should they should think back to history. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, it, it, I, I should say that the player right at the top is. Jonathas, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the Brazilian forward who's at Sociedad now, I think. And I'm sure like Chelsea were looking at him as a sort of um, slightly thuggish replacement for Diego Costa long term. But so the, the top player right now is um, is a striker. But again, I think it's easier for strikers to carve out that territory. And um, yeah, so uh, I don't know how valid that is. On the topic of uh, individual defenders, one question we got from Twitter, I think this was from Joel, was what are your thoughts on John Stones, either through Patch or just from your own Everton support? <laughs> oh, I've, I, I don't know. I've probably, probably given John Stones an unnecessarily hard time just because, just because I find a lot of Everton fans' adulation of him quite annoying. Um, I don't think that John Stones will always be a bad defender. I I don't think he necessarily has to be a bad defender at Everton, but I think he currently is. <laughs> um, Patch actually rates him rates him pretty highly at Everton. Um, it doesn't like Everton's defence at all, so that's not necessarily difficult. Um, but yeah, Patch actually thinks that he's he's decent. He's above he's above Funes Mori and he's above um, Jagielka. Um, 
my so my main objection with stones was that we turned down the money um if if it turns out that we sell him for 50 million this summer then that's fantastic um but the this this argument that that we made as a club and that was obviously very pleasing for fans to hear that we were doing the ambitious thing of turning down 35 40 million quid for a young defender um I just I, I found incredibly annoying <laughs> because we're we're a club who have been like chronically underfunded, who have never had a particularly convincing long term plan financially or otherwise, and I I just choose to believe that if you if you have a scouting network that allows you to find players like John Stones that turn into thirty five million quid defenders after you know two or three years in the team then just trust in them as you know systematically and reinvest that money but you know at the time over that summer everybody thought not everybody but a lot of Everton fans thought that we were going to be challenging for Champions League places which is obviously absurd coming from 11th or 12th last year so I the context is I I thought that decision was flat wrong that we didn't sell him um that being said that he will one day be a very good defender in some defence, probably. You know, he he has good skills and he's young and he's playing at the top level and learning. His the main problem he has some positional issues. He has some, you know, he is a sort of ambitious forward running defender. I did try and work out metric actually because he, in terms of um, ball playing defenders, he is one of the defenders that contributes the most to XG in the EPL. So if you look at all of the, if you look at goals scored that include, that include centre-backs, he is one of the ones that's up there. Um, but then I was trying to work out the other day, if you look at all of his dispossessions when he's, you know, <laughs> when he's trying to dribble the ball into the middle of the field, does it actually balance out? So does he lose, does he lose the ball surging forward? Is he out of position surging forward? So again, he's got a high patch value, but I often think he's, his positioning is wrong, so you can defend the wrong territory. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't hate the guy, and I've, prob- I've probably been overly grumpy about it on Twitter. It's just that I would rather have had the money. I don't think our defence is good. Um, I don't. I think he's been indirectly responsible for a lot of goals. And what's happened in the past few weeks is he's he started making very visible mistakes as well. So it, it was always the case that Funes Mori would just make hilariously obvious mistakes um, and so people obviously hated him whereas John Stones made very sort of subtly annoying mistakes that people wouldn't necessarily pick up on just because he was you know ball watching or in the wrong position or you know just otherwise distracting with Cruyff turns on his own goal line um, yeah so I, I don't know I if, if, if somebody bids 50 million quid for him I'm just gonna rip my own arms off if we don't take it because <laughs> we're nowhere near the top four and that money would make a lot of difference in the long term but who knows moving across to um <clears throat> now potentially boring data analysis stuff um 
in the recent sort of survey you did on the state of analytics, which we'll get into in a bit later, um, you noted that you use GIS or uh, GIS, uh, whereas a lot of people use Excel or R or Python. Um, so, you know, what sort of is GIS and how, I mean, I know Kurt Goldsbury, formerly of Grantland, used to use it for his um, basketball uh, sort of shot maps, as it were. Um, but, you know, what do you find useful in GIS and, you know, what so is it's, it? So, I mean, it's a broad topic. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about, you know, tools for spatial data. So every everybody is already doing this. You know, we, we work with X and Y coordinates and... Um, I've seen you go, you guys do things with sort of convex hulls around things. And so, you know, broadly all I'm talking about is, is using spatial tools. The, the reason that I asked is just because databases like Postgres and SQL Server and whatever platform you, you might use have really, really good support for spatial data now. So instead of, instead of just storing X as a number and Y as a number and getting the data out and playing with it in R, you can do, you know, part of the reason that I've been able to iterate a lot on patch is that it takes no time at all for me to write a database query and all of everything to do with patch runs inside the database and runs really quickly. And the reason for that is that, you know, SQL Server, where I keep the data, is able to draw these polygons and see if a pass intersects with polygons and it's just really useful stuff and part of the reason part of the reason i put it up there is just i think um i think there's i think a lot of people sort of come into football analytics get interested in the numbers see some things that you can do with r cut and paste some r code into r studio and then just slowly you know accrue all of this this sort of cut and pasted code that lets them do things and um very few people including people at clubs you know i've I've talked to people at clubs and their infrastructure has kind of it's kind of happened and not really been planned or you know it's just you have an analyst and there's lots of interesting code on their laptop and that that is your it infrastructure at club um and it just seems like it just seems like people should be a little bit more aware of the tools that are available. But um, obviously, people should use what they're comfortable with. And I'm not saying that everybody should become a programmer and learn everything about computers. But there are some there are some really powerful tools out there. And yeah, GIS tools uh, are one. And I think it you can download Postgres and use this stuff for free. And I think it's worth I think it's worth looking at just because it lets you do some really cool things very very quickly. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so it's not it's not like a core part of my it's not a core part of my beliefs about football. It's just look at what tools are available. You touched on there how we do have a big variety of people working with different tools and doing different things in analytics. And you did a state of analytics survey a couple. I think it was near the end of the year in December. So I'm curious, a why you decided to do this, why you thought it was important, and what did you find? Um. So part of Part of the reason was I get a lot of people um, in my DMs on Twitter asking where you get data from and how you get into this stuff. And um, and I try and help some of them out when I can. Um, 
and and also just just coming as i say i'm sort of i've come quite late to this community and um you know you sort of look at all of the people leaving and um going to smart odds and things and and um i kind of felt like when i started blogging the perhaps i'd missed the boat but um i i was intrigued by this community and the level of skills just because i think there's there's a huge everybody wants to be able to do these things you know everybody seems to want their own xg um, model because when you start I think XG is really one of one of the kind of gateway drugs because what for one thing XG maps are really really intuitive and but also it's it's just a very good um explanatory metric. And I think people see that and they kind of want it for themselves. You know there's there's not really there there weren't really many websites. I know Paul Riley now puts his stuff up, but there weren't really many websites where you could just go and play around with XG numbers. Um so I just think there's a huge there's a huge um, interest in people being able to have that data, even if they have to um, create it for themselves. But um, and also, I mean, part part of it was just political. I kind of feel uh, I know you know we bloggers are kind of um, feeding off other people's leavings a little bit, but I feel like um, the more cool stuff that happens you know in the sort of fanalist sphere um the greater demand there will be inside clubs and therefore the more jobs for let's face it people like you um and um and it just seemed everything's a little bit um disjointed and unorganized and everybody's very secretive because we're not allowed to talk about where we get data and things like that and I just kind of wanted to hang a hat on some of that stuff because I think, I think there's, I think there's tons of people out there who want to be able to do this stuff for themselves or inside clubs one day. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are very, very proprietary about their methods and don't talk about them. And sort of coming from, you know, I come from a programming background and we have open source code to be able to do pretty much everything and a lot of stuff is done out in the open and because of that you can build upon other people's ideas and um so i it was it was just a vague effort to collate together what people sort of ask me in private about how to get into this stuff as if i know um but also just make the point that you know there's a there's a lot of people out there who if people share their methodologies and their tools and you know hopefully one day code and data a little bit more that i think that will pay dividends you know ultimately on the pitch because i think people people will be and this is also part of the reason that i that i created the little search engine thing that i created was because you regularly you either find out because somebody tells you in a huff that you've copied their work, even if you don't know, um, or it saves you loads and loads of time because you can refer back to an article that was written three years ago. And it was very, very difficult to, you know, I kept finding that I was doing work that had actually already been on stats bomb three years ago. Um, and so part of the reason for making that was just to make, you know, the, the, stats sphere it was like 50 to 100 blogs really 
um, and just to collate them together so people could find work that had already been done or work that's relevant to their interest they might want to build off. So I don't know, my, my hope is just that um, it helped people realise that, you know, there's tons of people out there who want to do this. If you can help them with data or advice or cool articles on your blog, then you should. Um, it's all for the community. Absolutely right. I, uh, I agree with that as well. Um, one question before we close out. Uh, another one from Twitter. Um, how many Sherwood picks do you have in your library? <laughs> I, so, um, I'm not going to lie. I literally do have a folder called Sherwood on my desktop. Um, <laughs> but, so right now, only 43. I've only got 43. <laughs> but I will say that I have expanded beyond Sherwood now. So... <laughs> that includes that includes the um, Simpsons animated GIF of Grandpa Simpson going into the uh, the House of Ill Repute and then immediately turning around, which I use whenever Aguero comes back from injury or Daniel Sturridge comes back from injury, um, because obviously they'll get re-injured in about fifteen minutes. I've also started collecting some nice Nigel Pearsons as well. I think Nigel Pearsons got a got a particularly expressive face. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so hopefully that will grow. Um, I'm happy to. I'm happy to share if you know if anybody has some swaps that are good. And if you, if you could pick any picture to sum up this podcast, which one are you? Which show would one are you thinking? <laughs> um, there's the one. There's the one of him making the sort of cut cut gesture, you know, <laughs> so, which is what which is what I'm assuming. Um, he's going on at the other end of the line when I speak for 15 minutes about <laughs> about boring methodologies about defensive stuff. Uh, <laughs> but no, he's just, I, I mean, he he's hes an interesting, he's an interesting scapegoat in the stats um, community. But but ultimately, you know, that that is the goal, is being able to convince somebody like Tim Sherwood that the work that we do is valuable. Um, and can help on the pitch and you know it's all very well us getting grumpy and making jokes about it but ultimately we often fail as communicators and <laughs> I'm sure me posting Tim Sherwood memes has not really contributed to no I mean I'm not not that he knows he's got things on his he's got you know things to do but um, I don't know it's just a reminder of the end goal that's what it is I, I post them because it reminds me one day one day sit down with Tim Sherwood and I'll show him some polygons and he'll go, yeah, get out, my, get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Over a nice cappuccino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to plug before we head out? Oh, to plug? No, I mean, I've, I've got some articles coming out um, hopefully this week. I think my my output my output since I started doing defensive stuff has dropped massively because it's time consuming and I keep thinking of new new things to plug into it. So I feel I feel a little bad that people followed me and then I just stopped writing articles for a couple of weeks. So I I massively appreciate being asked on here. So um, I will just leave it at that. Cool. So on that note, we'll let you get back to your Magic the Gathering cards. Uh, thanks for coming on, Tom. Thanks, Sam. Thanks very much. Cheers.